From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington, welcome to the Kojo Nomdi Show, connecting your neighborhood with the world. I'm Mark Fisher, sitting in for Kojo. Coming up this hour, imagine tapping your smartphone to unlock the front door, walking past a sensor that turns on the lights, and installing a thermostat that learns your daily routine and sets the temperature accordingly. In the era of personal fitness trackers and high-tech cars, it's only natural that our homes are the next frontier for so-called smart devices. One survey says a quarter of all Americans own some kind of smart home product, and many say they'd be more likely to buy a house that has one. But if an app can unlock your doors from miles away, wouldn't you worry that your house might be hacked? Smart home technology is still in its infancy, but with everyone from Amazon to Google jumping into the fray, it seems destined to grow, and even to change the way we pay for things like electricity and homeowners insurance. Joining me for a Tech Tuesday look at the future of smart homes are Maria Thomas, who's a consultant for startups and former Chief Consumer Officer of Samsung Smart Things. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. And Lindsay Turrentine is editor in chief of CNET.com. She joins us from CNET Studios in San Francisco. Welcome. Hello. So nice to be here. Uh, Lindsay Turrentine, let's start with you and uh, give us the, the, the general framework of what what are smart home devices, what qualifies for that label, and, and uh, how pervasive are they right now in American homes? So there's no single standard for what a smart home device is. We're sort of at this point in the development of this, these various technologies of which people are kind of trying to figure that out. Roughly, when we talk about it, we talk about products that are installed in the home that are connected to the Internet. And most of them can be controlled via an app on your phone, can be controlled remotely from outside your house. Broadly, that's what it means. Um, and, you know, any device, you might be surprised by what could qualify as a smart device. So in, in many ways, a connected television right now is a smart home device. It's a device that stays put in your home. Uh, many of them have remote control capabilities, and some of them can talk to other products in your house. So that's an example of a smart home product that you might already have. I mean, we found that close to 50% of Americans are, are, want this and are ready for it. Um, a lot of people already have devices that once you sit down and say, do you have a, a piece of technology in your home uh, that you can control remotely? They go, oh, yeah, I do have that. Um, so these types of products are sort of sneaking into our homes without us even realizing that we're adopting something so fancy as smart home technology. So certain things are, are kind of obvious when, when my TV, uh, when a box shows up that says uh, who's calling me on the phone and it's on my TV, that, that's obviously an example of that. But that's not something that I would really use from far away from home. Uh, and similarly, I, I might set my thermostat to uh, uh, have the air conditioning go down a bit when I'm away from the house. Uh, but again, that's not something I'm likely to fiddle with from my office, for example. But at the heart of this issue about uh, how our homes are going to change and how our control of them is going to change seems to be these devices uh, that we do uh, manipulate from a distance. And uh, Maria Thomas, uh, what would be a couple of prime examples of those that, uh, that are perhaps new to, to a lot of people? 
Yeah, sure. Um, I, actually, if I may, Mark, I'd like to just uh, add one comment to the framework question uh, that you were asking about first, and then we can go into the specific devices. Uh, I think we're already, in the introduction of this conversation, been talking about controlling devices remotely, um, using your smartphone, let's say, as a remote control for your home. And that's certainly one aspect of a smart home. But I, I think it's even uh, broader than that. It, it, it's the idea of, um, you might think of it as uh, giving your home a heartbeat, so to speak, as kind of a cat phrase, but in the same way that, that social networking allowed us to have a feed of sorts of what's happening in our social circles with family and friends, and at a quick glance of our phone, we can have an update of kind of what's happening in our social network. Uh, you can imagine something like that for your home. So almost a feed for, from your home. Uh, are all the doors locked? Are the lights out? Did you close the garage door? Um, is there water dripping in the basement after a big thunderstorm? Um, those would be the kinds of things that might be useful to a, to a homeowner by just glancing at the phone uh, in, in, a, in a smart home context. Um, I sometimes like to joke and say, you know, a, a few years ago when smartphones were first introduced, we refer to them as smartphones. And even today, we still say smartphones. But I think as we approach uh, 70, 75 percent penetration of smartphones in America, we're going to just start saying phones and they will no longer be smart. Um, and we may we may get to that uh, with the home as well. But to get to your question, um, I think smart home value propositions focus around home security, um, lighting, um, also energy control and energy monitoring, which can translate into cash shavings. Uh, so different devices, you've already mentioned some of them, smart lighting, smart locks, smart thermostats, uh, and then sensors that can be placed around the house as well uh, that are sensing conditions. So is there water or not water? Uh, you can know that with a water sensor. Or is there motion or not motion? Uh, determining that using a motion sensor. So those are some examples. Do you have devices installed to make your home smart and what smart home system did you choose and why? Let us know at 1-800-433-8850 or email us at kojo at wamu.org. Let us know about uh, your thoughts about whether a smart home is more vulnerable uh, to being hacked. Uh, would you like your fitness devices to talk to each other? 1-800-433-8850. And Lindsay Turrentine, one of the most popular reasons to install smart home devices is home security. What are uh, some ways in which uh, these systems do make a house more secure? Well, like Marie was saying, some of this is giving you a sense when you're not at home for what's going on in your home. Um, it's been a very long time, actually, since people have been able to install cameras to, to report on what's happening in their house um, and install security systems that can call the police remotely and things like that. That's a longstanding tradition with large subscriber, subscriber model uh, security systems, right, like your ADTs of the world. What's new is the ability to do this yourself for not very much money. Um, so right now you can go out, you can buy a set of drop cams, for instance. They cost at the most, you know, $280 all the way down to $200. These are cameras that you can just plug in. Essentially, they hop on your home Internet and you can create your own home security system. You can opt in for, say, you know, monitoring by the company that makes the cameras, but you can also just create this yourself and check in remotely. So that's very attractive, the idea that for, say, an apartment dweller who wants to go out and buy one camera, install it over the door, check in, and see what's happening 
from their phone without having to go through the subscription service or having an installer come out. That's one really attractive part of home security. There's more to it, though, and there's a lot of convenience that goes with the home security uh, conversation. So one example that I like to use is smart locks. I have an August smart lock installed at my house. That's CNET's favorite smart lock. This is a lock that it's still pretty early um, in the game and, and pretty early technology. It's not perfect, but it's a very easy way to make home security more convenient. And, you can and- actually just install this lock over your home deadbolt yourself. It takes like 15 minutes. And then you can see on your phone who's coming and going throughout the day. And you can also hand out virtual keys. So you have, say, a babysitter who's coming over to your house. You can give that babysitter a key, and that key exists on their phone. You can set an expiration date, right? So you can come into my house between the hours of 5 p.m. and 9 p.m., uh, and then that key goes poof, and that person can't get back into your house. There's a lot of convenience in that scenario. So in that, uh, just because uh, it's all about security and people are going to have worries about security, uh, when some, when you give that virtual key to someone uh, and it's on their phone, if someone else gets their phone, can they come into your house? Yes, that's <laughs> absolutely one concern. If somebody else gets that person's phone, they could come into your house. The expiration, but that's also true of a physical key, sure. right? I mean, certainly, if you hand somebody else your key and somebody else finds that key and knows your address, they can get into your house. And that key's never going to go away. The appealing thing about a virtual key is that it does just disappear after a period of time. One, you know, kind of tip for that is to never put your address on the app. Don't name your house an obvious name that's attached to your last name. Maria Thomas, uh, home security systems, uh, obviously this is a big business, has been for many years, and we all see the signs on people's lawns, and some of them represent actual security systems, and some of them are just signs on people's that's lawns. That's exactly right. Um, which may be uh, a disincentive to some criminals, uh, enough of one. But, but that industry is based on monthly fees uh, that are paid in perpetuity and uh, for often for people who, who never actually activate uh, the service. Is, is that a business model that is in danger of or is already being disrupted by this kind of smart uh, door lock system that we were talking about? Uh, yes, I, th- I think it's in, in danger of uh, being uh, disrupted, um, but but I think the the bigger opportunity is really for those eighty percent or seventy five percent, depending on whose numbers you believe, uh, of American homeowners who don't have one of those monthly fee systems. Um, so different uh, companies estimate about twenty to twenty five percent of U.S. households have a pay for. Uh, a monthly fee service monitoring home security service uh, like an ADT. Um, and, and one of the most frequently stated reasons for those who don't have such a system is the expense, uh, which can run, you know, $40, $50, $60 a month, depending on what you get. So as Lindsay was saying, what is new here is the opportunity for uh, more of a do-it-yourself type solution with either no monthly fees for a base service or perhaps a lower monthly fee for some mo- some type of monitoring service. And and I think it's important to emphasize, Mark, that we really are in the very early days of all of this. Um, and it's, it's, I think, very important to put things in context uh, from the user experience to the value propositions to uh, the security and privacy concerns. I think we will see this evolve um, as most, uh, you know, fundamental shifts in technology do occur over time. Um, but I think other industries, in addition to home security, actually uh, stand to, uh, the chance to be more disrupted than home security even. So, for example, 
you mentioned insurance in the intro. Insurance is uh, an industry that historically is a look-back industry, operates on, um, you know, historical data, actuarial data in the case of life insurance, um, and self-reported data in the case of, of driving and car insurance. Uh, imagine a time when uh, you can have sensors in your home or in your car or even on your body, for that matter, um, that actually provide real-time data, so no longer guessing uh, or self reporting how many miles do I drive per year. It's actually tracked. Uh, and if you, the consumer, w wish or, or choose to share it with your insurance company in exchange for a potentially lower premium, uh, that could be a real value driver for the consumer and certainly a disruptive force for insurance companies, as an example. But I, I imagine it could also work the other way, in which a company might say, we'll sell you this policy, but only on the condition that you let us track your driving behavior, uh, and then uh, you know you do things that you're not supposed to, and, and you lose your policy or, or get a big rate hike. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's also uh, a possibility. I think you know that's why I say we're in the very early days, and that part of what I suspect will emerge over time is um, different types of uh, agreements or arrangements between consumer and uh, where the data is delivered. Uh, and I think that will be a, a really important uh, change that happens as the Internet of Things uh, blossoms over the next few years. Let's go to Steve in Washington. Steve, you're on the air. Hi, great show. I have a question for you. Uh, Pepco routinely sends out essentially individual household power usage audits, uh, but it doesn't actually tell you how you can audit how much power you're using in different rooms of the house or different appliances. Are there smart devices that allow you to audit and determine, is it your TV, is it your refrigerator, is it your air conditioning unit, and then figure out a way to manage it all better? Maria Thomas? Uh, yeah, hi. I, I think one way of doing it is, is may not be uh, the most efficient, but there are uh, smart outlets that you can purchase that are um, outlets that can be wired directly into the wall uh, or smart outlets that might be referred to as pluggable outlets that are simply, uh, you know, like the old-fashioned timers, but now they're smart outlets. So if you had devices plugged into those types of outlets, you could, uh, via uh, an accompanying app, look at the usage on an outlet-by-outlet outlet basis. Um, many applications, uh, such as my former company, SmartThings, enable you to group these items by room or to group them uh, by type of activity. So that, that, that's one way of, of, of looking at it. Uh, there may be others that I'm not familiar with. Thanks for the call, Steve. Uh, when we come back after a short break, we're going to get into some other ways in which smart devices can help you control your home, whether it's temperature or energy uh, or lighting, as well as more of your calls after a short break. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. 
Welcome back. I'm Mark Fisher of The Washington Post, sitting in for Kojo Namdi, and we are talking about smart homes, smart home devices, with Maria Thomas, a former chief consumer officer for Samsung Smart Things, and Lindsay Turrentine, editor-in-chief of CNET.com. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-433-8850 or email us at kojo at WAMU. Dot org And Lindsay Tarantino, another smart, uh, popular use of smart home technology is for temperature control. How do uh, smart thermostats save uh, energy and money? Well, I'm going to address that in a second, but really quickly, I wanted to note something else in the last caller's question. And the question was, is there something that can monitor energy across your home? There is actually a product that does this. It's called Nurio. Uh, it's out on the market right now. You have to have it professionally installed, but it actually will learn what where the power usage in your home is coming from and will start to report on different appliances. And there are a couple of different um, manufacturers that are going to be making this soon. Belkin's working on something very similar. So just FYI, if you're really interested in monitoring power specifically, there are some whole home products for that. And, and just when it comes quickly, to, quickly, how, how sure. does it know? I mean, is it connected to each appliance, uh, or how, do, how does it determine which appliance is actually sucking out all the energy? My understanding is that it learns over time. So it starts by giving real-time readings of the power draw across your entire home so that you can see when you flip on a light switch, it'll show a shift in usage. Uh, but you can teach it over time to distinguish among the appliances um, to know, you know, okay, this shift, that was the air conditioner. And, th- you know, this this particular shift, when this spike goes, that's the dryer. And so over time, it starts to learn what those different power patterns are from. Okay. So on to temperature control. Temperature control is actually kind of similar. I mean, the the smart thermostat that most people know about is the Nest, although there are quite a few of these on the market now from a lot of different manufacturers. So if you're interested in climate control and smart climate control, you have a lot of choices. Uh, But I'll talk about the Nest kind of more specifically, partially because I own it and partially because it's the one that most people know. The idea with the connected thermostat is that it does two different things. One, it lets you control it remotely. And this is kind of the easiest thing to grok. Um, You know, you're coming home from a long trip. Your thermostat has been off. You've set it to away mode. You realize, oh, my gosh, my house is going to be freezing. I'd like to warm it up. So an hour away from home, you fire up the app and you say, please warm up my house to, you know, 70 degrees. You walk in the door and everything is great. The other thing that this thermostat does and most of its competitors do is learn your patterns. And the idea is that over time, algorithms in the thermostat itself will identify what your preferences and patterns are and how they differ day to day. So if you have been getting up every morning at 5.30 and walking over to your thermostat or picking up your app and turning up the heat to a specific amount, it'll start to learn, oh, this is the time, you know, this is the time that Lindsay and her family get up. Um, and so we're always just going to start warming up the house a few minutes ahead of time so that when you get out of bed, it's nice and warm. And that that pattern may vary day to day, right? I might get up at 5.30 on Monday and Wednesday, but sleep in a little bit on Tuesday and Thursday, and weekends sleep till 9. I wish I could. That would be great. <laughs> uh, so, so there's this learning aspect to it, and then there's also the remote control aspect to it. And then actually there's kind of a third opportunity, which is that especially in the case of Nest, the thermostat can act as sort of a hub for the rest of the connected products in your home. In the case of Nest in particular, Nest has, there's a program with Nest called Works with Nest, and a lot of other manufacturers have created products that work with Nest. Um, Sometimes it works better than others, but 
the Nest, since it's sort of the barometer of your comings and goings and actually has sensors that tells you whether or not um, somebody's at home and moving around, that Nest can act as sort of a sentry and tell other products, oh, you know, the house is empty, it's set to away, all the lights can come down. So it, it's also acting as a sort of an informant for other products in your house. And in that regard, and you mentioned the, the idea of a hub, um, so Maria Thomas, uh, you uh, recently left a company called Smart Things that made hubs. Uh, is, is a hub more than Nest? Does it, it, does it cover a lot of other categories? Yes. Yeah, so th- broadly speaking, you can think of Smart Home uh, in terms of where we are today with technology uh, in, in kind of broadly as Systems that are more platform-based and and hub-based systems, such as SmartThings, and then devices that are single-point solutions or kind of hero devices. Um, Nest is is an interesting example because it started out as a single device, the thermostat, um, and in kind of a a Trojan horse type of way, it is acting now as a hub as the company introduces additional devices like they have now Nest Protect, which is a smoke uh, smoke alarm uh, product. In addition, they purchased a drop cam that Lindsay mentioned earlier is now called Nest Cam. So they are building out device by device uh, a kind of hub and spoke type of technology, smart things. Uh, it started as a platform-based approach. Um, And the idea with SmartThings is that it's an open platform, so it can work with many different types of devices made by multiple manufacturers. And and this gets to, I think, one of the key points um, around smart home technology that is challenging today, and that is that there are multiple standards um, in the ways in which different devices can, in fact, communicate with a centralized product, call it the hub, call it the gateway, whatever you call it. It is the kind of the brain of these systems that receive uh, messages from the sensors or from the connected locks or from the connected thermostat um, and typically communicate those that information up to a cloud um, in, in, in many cases such that the user can then control those devices with their phones. So this is the architecture of these types of systems. Well, speaking of thermostats, uh, Ben in Winchester has a question about uh, the weather and uh, thermostats. Ben, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My, my question is really kind of simple. I mean, the biggest energy-saving thing I do all summer is I check the weather, and when it gets cool enough, I open my windows and turn off my air conditioning. Um, do any of these apps coordinate with um, the temperature set with um, the weather guides and say, hey, from 8 p.m. to 9 a.m., it's cooler outside, then you have our thermostat set at, so why don't you just turn me off and open the windows? Maria? Uh, I'm going to answer this broadly, and Lindsay may want to answer since she owns the Nest more specifically, but I think the answer is yes, and um, this raises up the point of this kind of idea of customizing your smart home based on different, whether it's weather patterns, whether it's sunrise, sunset, um, you know, uh, time of day, so different triggers that might uh, kick off routines in your house, so to speak. And um, there's a, a company called IFT, IFTTT, which is uh, basically a software company that's enabling people to write what they call recipes to actually govern these types of behavior. So uh, I'm pretty sure that Nest has a channel on IFT in which you can select, um, you know, to control your Nest thermostat using these IFT recipes uh, according to different triggers, one of which may be weather. Lindsay Turnchey, did you want to add something on that? Specific. 
Sure, specifically about the Nest. Actually, Nest, it, it's interesting. It reports on the weather to you. So when I fire up the Nest app on my phone, I can see what the weather is where I live. That's It's not actually causing the Nest to change its behavior. Nest is just reacting to the, the climate in the house itself, um, which I think when you think about it makes some sense. Uh, Nest isn't going to turn on unnecessarily uh, unless the temperature in your home reaches a certain level. So if you live in the desert and the heat starts to go up rapidly, it's actually going to react to the temperature change within your house rather than a predictive model. Um, but I think that, that Maria's right. Things like IFT, and there are a lot of pioneers playing with uh, kind of hacking their home systems themselves to create more predictive environments or to create more complicated IFT-then scenarios, which is really what IFT is all about. Most average consumers aren't going to do that, aren't going to set up a lot of different rules and channels for their home. But all of these early pioneers are really helping trailblaze and helping companies who make connected home products kind of see the scope of what their products might be able to do. And that's really exciting. So I, I can imagine that there are a number of people who are a little skeptical or maybe a lot skeptical about this whole uh, endeavor. And I think the, their, their doubts fall probably into two categories. Number one is what we heard from Ben, uh, the idea that, you know, I could actually just look out the window and decide based on what's going on outside what to do. Uh, and so, the, you know, that's the, the basic question of uh, is this all necessary or is this just something that's technologically possible? and therefore we're doing it. Uh, so, a, uh, go ahead. Oh, sure. I, it's a great question. It's a question that we get all the time. And right now at this moment, you know, when there are these different platforms and hubs that are proprietary and sort of um, op- oppositional, really, we haven't quite figured out what the accepted platforms are. Most people have the best experience with a single product that does one thing that they really need. So while there are some consumers out there who want to have a whole home install, right, some, some crazy system that both dims the lights when the temperature goes down and turns on the TV in the bathroom, most people just have one problem that they want to solve. So I, I, I go back to that smart lock scenario all the time. Um, if the problem is that you have a lot of different people coming and going from your house and you don't want to be handing out physical keys – or say you have a child coming home and you want to make sure that you can be the secondary person who can open the door for them if they can't get in themselves, um, that specific scenario might drive you to install a smart lock. Or let's say you have, um, you know, you have an Airbnb and you want to have a backup system or a system in which you can easily hand out keys to people you might not want to meet in person. A very specific scenario might sort of lead to an aha moment for you where you say, oh, I really need that. And that's your entree into the smart home technology generally. I I agree fully with what Lindsay is saying. I I would also add that I think our notions of um, what's normal or what's convenient change over time. And we only have to look as far as the television remote control to – to, to sort of put that in, in perspective, right? And and what changed over time when, when the TV remote control was first introduced, um, I suppose, you know, many people thought it was frivolous and, and silly and why couldn't you just get up and change the channel on the television? Uh, so, so Which what, is now inconceivable. Which is inconceivable <laughs> in, 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 in part because maybe we're lazy, but also I think in large part because content has exploded, right? There's no longer just three networks or four networks, um, but, but many, many channels. And so, you know, if you can imagine 
in a time when uh, lighting may no longer be just a commodity uh, where we turn it on and off, but in fact, uh, something that people use to set moods or to be playful or to uh, have more conveniences. Um, we, we might imagine a time then that, you know, it is actually useful to control your lighting from your phone or to automate certain lighting scenarios. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's it's useful to think about things that seemed frivolous in our lives or devices, gadgets that seem frivolous that no longer do. So there is that. What? So that first category of, of pushback is, is obviously the, sort of the Jetsons things like I, I don't want to live in the Jetsons world. OK, so we, we get that. But the other one uh, is is this question about security. And we have an email from Charlie in Lexington, Kentucky, who just got a smart TV. And he says it's brilliant. He says, I'm now paying twenty dollars a month for what used to cost. 120. I can imagine getting a self-administered security system, but I think a smart home is a bit too far. Someone would have to convince me that it couldn't get hacked. And so that's that's the ultimate concern. You, you know, you don't want your security system of all things to be the thing that makes you less secure. Uh, Maria Thomas, is there uh, can these smart home systems be hacked? Uh, I think security is is a critical question, and uh, I would never be the one to say that the smart home can never be hacked, um, because I think we live in a world that uh, is driven by software, and software comes with uh, bugs, and software comes with the potential of being hacked. Um, but but I would offer some uh, perhaps some perspective on this. Um, First of all, I think if someone wants to break into your home, the easiest way in is, you know, to throw a stone through the window or to, to crack the door open with a crowbar, as, as happened to me, uh, as opposed to, you know, hacking a, a software. Having said that, um, you know, we, we see and, and experience examples all the time in our lives today through e-commerce or, or other, you know, online banking, uh, where hacking has uh, become, you know, it seems like almost commonplace. So I think with the advent of the smart home and more broadly the Internet of Things, uh, connected cars, connected devices, connected lives um, – uh, one that, that that device manufacturers and software developers need to take this incredibly seriously, build in security from the ground up at you know the highest levels of encryption. Uh, we need strong authentication protocols. I mentioned earlier about the conflicting standards, but we, we need a single or, or at least uh, a couple of standards with very strong authentication protocols. And I think uh, consumers need to become very smart about all of this stuff. And in the same way that, um, you know, we, we changed our attitude as a country about using seatbelts, uh, I think we need to get really smart uh, as, a, as a society about um, authentication, password management, and, and, and user control and access over all this stuff. We have a tweet yeah. from a listener who uh, cites uh, the dystopian uh, short story by Ray Bradbury called There Will Come Soft Rains. It's a short story. Uh, that's a favorite of his about a smart home that uh, t takes over uh, someone's life. And uh, and yet the, the tweeter uh, notes uh, that he'd love to have a system himself. So uh, he's <laughs> <laughs> able to put fiction in its own, uh, its, its own category. Uh, Lindsay yeah, Tarantino, go ahead. That perfectly summarizes how a lot of us feel, which is like, oh, gosh, this is kind of terrifying. Uh, I want it anyway. And I think, you know, at this, a lot of what Maria said is exactly what, what I would have said about this. Right now, it's so early in the smart home uh, progression, I guess, that it is really unlikely that a, a criminal who wants to break into your house is going to try to find a way to, like, jam the radio on your smart locks. 
when that person could probably just bust their way in. Uh, they're probably not willing to invest the time. What I am much more worried about is wholesale hacking and, and tracking of people's personal patterns. So if somebody found a way to observe the pattern of your comings and goings based on your smart security system and then use that over time to figure out when the best time to break into your house is, I think that that's um, it's much more concerning, and that could be done at, at a wholesale level if we're not very, very careful. I also think that there are security scenarios that we haven't encountered yet because this technology is fairly new, and there will be a couple – something will happen. Some, something, some hack will happen. There will be a scenario illustrated that will get our hackles up, and then the industry as a whole will need to turn to that problem and figure out exactly how to deal with it. And I think that most people who are installing smart home devices right now are on the vanguard and are sort of, you know, accepting a little bit of risk in order to identify what those problems are going to be. Um, but, but there are a lot of opportunities, too. And I think that there are a lot of situations in which having more information about what's going on in your home actually leads to a more secure scenario. You are actually able to see what's going on in your home. You're able to see if there's you know, unusual or unnecessary activity in your home based on sensors, uh, based on what those sensors are telling you. There are there are products, uh, and I and I believe that SmartThings makes a lot of these are partners with people who do that can do things like place small sensors on your windows, and you can do this yourself. You just put a little sensor on your window, so if that window opens, you get notified. That's actually a great technology for somebody like an apartment dweller who doesn't want to you know in, invest or actually can't invest. In, in a larger subscription-based security system. So I think that there's a real security advantage there, too, for a lot of people. And, and of course, the, the scenario that you paint of uh, the hacker figuring out your comings and goings and, and breaking in is not unique to uh, a tech-driven criminal. It, uh, you know, there have been numerous cases over the years of people who would say work for a security company and monitor the, the clients and then uh, you know arrange for somebody to go in and break in. So it, it, it's not wedded to the technology. Let's go to uh, Joe in Bethesda, Maryland. Joe, you're on the air. Yeah, I had a question going back to the smart hubs and stuff. I've been goofing around with this technology as a, a application for years and years, going back to the X10 protocol, which is very, very primitive. Um, my problem is now is that I've got three or four different proprietary languages <laughs> that these uh, devices and sensors use, none of which can really speak to each other. And some of the hubs are good. My question is, is it is it obvious which language is going to become the dominant one? Because there's so many choices out there, and once you invest that money, you're you're stuck with that with that protocol. And so right now, it's going to stay a hobby for me, and I'm going to have to pay the security company because I don't trust myself to to know what's going to happen. And Maria Thomas, when you answer that, first tell us what he means by language. Yes. Uh, he's talking about how these different devices that we've been discussing, whether it's thermostats, uh, lighting switches, uh, smart outlets, how are they actually communicating? Through what standard uh, are they communicating 
with a hub uh, or directly to the internet. Uh, because you know the, the idea here is that all of these physical objects are connecting to the internet, so there has to be a communication protocol uh, that is enabling that. And he is absolutely right in saying that there are multiple standards in the industry today, and it's one of the challenges of the industry in terms of where we are. Um, and so there are you know, at least a handful of of these standards uh, that are generally low-power radio uh, technologies that allow the devices to communicate with one another and to communicate with these hubs that we were talking about. Um, and so, uh, you know, some of the some of the he mentioned X10, which is a standard from more than a decade ago. Uh, that's kind of on the on the way out, if not all the way out. Um, it been replaced by uh, standards such as Z-Wave, Zigbee. Um, there's a couple of alliances in the industry now among some of the major tech companies and major chip makers, uh, including uh, one from from uh, Nest and Samsung called Thread. Um, there's another called the All Seen uh, Alliance, which has a standard called All. Join that was originally a Qualcomm standard. So there are multiple uh, standards in the marketplace. And one of the things today, if, if, if you're out there thinking about purchasing a hub or a system, is to look at the number of radios that are in these hubs and which ones. Uh, because right now, uh, I think it's fair to say that, that more is probably better. More, if, if there are more radios in the hub, that means that you as a consumer have more choice about which devices you can have in your, in your house um, without having this uh, conflict problem. When we come back after a short break, we'll talk about smart refrigerators, smart lighting. We're going to be so smart after a break. Welcome back. I'm Mark Fisher of the Washington Post, sitting in for Kojo Namdi, and we are talking about smart homes with uh, Maria Thomas. She's the former chief consumer officer for Samsung Smart Things, and with Lindsay Tarantine, editor-in-chief of CNET.com. And, Lindsay, another big category of smart home tech is lighting controls. These are the devices that can turn the lights on when you wake up and off when you go to sleep. And if you buy the right light bulbs, they can change even the color of the light to match your mood. Um, is that uh, is that a bit of hype, or are there actually people who would want to do that? Oh, I've, I've talked to lots of people who do like to do this uh, and who like to be able to program their lights uh, to match what they're doing at the time, right? So think about this, a scenario in which you program your lights when that, say, when that Nest thermostat wakes up 15 minutes early to start warming the house for you before your alarm goes off. Maybe the lights in your room start to slowly get warmer. Um, they start dim and they sort of slowly, naturally wake you up. That's actually a pretty pleasant way to wake up. It's certainly not necessary. Uh, there are other scenarios in which you may want to be able to control the lights from afar. Say you come home later than you thought you were going to from a trip. Uh, you know, they're old-fashioned wall timers, of course, but you that wall timer's not set. You want to be able to say, actually, I want to turn on the lights in my kitchen to make sure that it looks like I'm home. That's a sort of a more a 
practical scenario. There are also really fun things. This is kind of a marketing stunt, but a while ago, uh, Philips, which makes probably the best known of these light bulbs, the Hue system, they're these LED light bulbs that you can, uh, you know, attach to the internet, control through your phone, program ahead of time. They also change their, um, their color temperature, some of them, so that your lights can be cooler or warmer, depending on what you're trying to achieve and under the lights. Anyway, Philips uh, worked with, uh, with <laughs> sci-fi to set mood lighting for the movie 12 Monkeys. Uh, and so there was a, they, it was a little bit of a stunt, but people <laughs> on my team did this. We actually set up a bunch of lights, and then the Hue lights responded to what was happening in the movie to set dramatic lighting based on what was happening. So you might have warm lighting or green lighting when there's something really creepy happening. Uh, that's a little bit of a demo of what could be possible in the future if all of these languages sort themselves out and allow you to just sort of plug and play, right? You've got lights in your living room, you turn on the movie, you want it to be more like a theater experience, go. And those light bulbs that change color, uh, they run, what, about 60 bucks each, right? They do. They're, they're expensive. The prices are really coming down, though. We look at these all the time, and we've been impressed to see as people adopt LED technology how much easier it is to find high-quality LED lights that are programmable. Um, I think if you wait another year or so, the price is going to come down quite a bit. We have an email from Daniel who asks, says that he owns a smart light bulb, the LIFX, and he's wondering about research into potential health benefits of smart lighting in the home. Maria Thomas, any validity uh, to that? I am not familiar with specific research about uh, health benefits relative to smart lighting. I know that, uh, you know, I, there have been, I believe, uh, studies around light in general and, uh, you know, the, the benefits of light. And of course, there's sunlight and vitamin D and that whole thing. But I'm not really familiar with uh, health benefits connected to smart lighting. Okay. And uh, I don't know if either of you uh, can pick up on this, but his other question, he's a, he's a small business owner. He wants to know, if there are any smart home apps that are specifically geared toward commercial property owners or small manufacturers? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a great question. I, I, we've been focused on the consumer in this conversation. I think um, for some of these DIY-type systems, uh, including smart things, but others as well, there's no reason why the types of scenarios that we've been talking about wouldn't uh, be useful in a small business. Uh, in fact, um, at SmartThings, we certainly heard from uh, customers who were, in fact, using the system in their business. And it could be um, for lighting management solutions to save energy, uh, could be for safety uh, concerns, some of which we've already highlighted. Um, there's a lot of playfulness in some of these solutions as well. But certainly, some of the DIY systems on the market today can be applied in a small business setting. In a larger manufacturing setting, a larger commercial uh, real estate setting, I, I believe that uh, the concepts that we're talking about, this idea of connected things and being able to monitor using real-time data is a, a, a very big opportunity and certainly happening at the industrial level. Uh, and that's a whole nother, you know, vertical, if you will, that's part of the so-called Internet of Things. And Lindsay Turrentine, uh, yet another source of skepticism, comes from Popular Science magazine, uh, which uh, put out a list of what not to connect, uh, what uh, things are <laughs> not yet ready for smart home networks. And uh, the, the things they put in that category tend to be large appliances things like ovens, washers, dryers, and refrigerators, uh, which they say are just not there yet. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely agree. Uh, that's not to say that there isn't a person out there who could use some of the smartness 
uh, in some large appliances. But um, I think that the entire industry is still looking for ways to connect large appliances to the Internet of Things safely. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs kind of famously mocked the idea of a connected refrigerator and nobody wants that. I think the reality is that nobody wants that now, today, as these refrigerators exist. And to be clear, a connected refrigerator right now is usually only the very highest-end refrigerator from a manufacturer, right? So LG makes one that I think is about, oh, $3,700. If you're going to spend that much on a refrigerator, why not get the one with the touchscreen? I think the reality, though, is that, and you're probably honestly not really paying for that touchscreen, that's icing on the cake, but what this, what say, for instance, a connected refrigerator can do is just not that impressive yet. Most of these have a screen that can, you know, feed the same kind of information that you would get on your phone. So, you know, they use it some sort of Android uh, system to feed up tweets or Facebook posts to let you, you know, write down a shopping list. Or maybe there's a sort of a freshness tracker in one of these that says, "I bought yogurt on this date." It'll kind of alert you if your yogurt's about to expire. What it doesn't do is what would actually be very useful, which is, you know, say you had um, sensors on every single piece of purchased good going into your refrigerator that actually just told your refrigerator on its way in what it is and when it expires. And that then when you're, when you're at the store, you actually can reference that list and say, okay, I know my eggs are going in two days. It's time to get new ones. That doesn't exist yet. And there are these use cases that I think are just kind of beyond the uh, the planning cycle for these large appliances, and I'm sure that they are in development for many, many years. And so those developments are probably happening. We won't see them for a few more years. And when we, uh, we were running a panel at the Consumer Electronics Show, which is a giant you know, consumer electronics trade show, uh, two years ago, and uh, we had a, a panelist from GE who worked in their appliances division, and he said, you know, look, we know that the Internet of Things is huge. We're really excited about it. We don't think ovens are ready for that quite yet because, you know, think about the safety scenarios with remote preheating of an oven, for instance. Uh, But we know that this is going to become important and all of the sensors and and the ability to connect to the Internet are actually going into a lot of these products now. We don't even advertise it, but they're ready to be turned on in four or five years when this actually makes sense, which I think is a really exciting idea that uh, when this all makes sense, you're going to be able to talk to the, your oven manufacturer and say, okay, what can this puppy do and hook it into the system? I, I'm not sure I'm going to be ready for the smart refrigerator until it can take the prepared dish, put it in the oven, <laughs> turn the oven on, and have it be delivered to the table when I walk in the door. Well, I, I agree with the, everything that Lindsay is saying. I will tell you this, though, as a, a kind of very low-tech application. One of my favorite uh, uses of smart things was to place a uh, what we call a multi-sensor, uh, which includes an accelerometer that can detect vibration. Just placing that right on top of my washing machine and then using one of these recipes or rules within smart things uh, to know when my laundry is done. So I would get a text message, set it up to send me a text message when my laundry is finished because I'm too lazy to, to go downstairs multiple times <laughs> uh, before the cycle is finished. And, and, and now tell me what happens when your smart fridge tells your insurance company that you're eating altogether too much <laughs> high-fat ice cream. It doesn't know that you're eating it. You could be giving it away. I think the insurance company would conclude that I'm eating it. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. Um, so another device that uh, – or household staple that is not yet on the smart home list in some ways is the television. Why are TVs unlikely to be talking to other home devices anytime soon? 
Lindsay? I'm not actually sure that uh, that your televisions are unlikely to be talking to other home devices. And I guess it also depends on what you consider to be your television. I remember seeing a Samsung SmartThings demo at, at CES again uh, that showed the front door security camera reporting back to the television about who's there. That's a really likely and, and pretty awesome scenario, right? Let's say you have a downstairs rec room. Um, you can't really hear the front door. You see that the pizza guy just walked up. Great scenario. And I think that that's not too far in the future. Um, I also know that you know when you look at Apple and what they're doing, Apple TV is very likely to be to function as their hub. I agree. For uh, and and that it's not your actual television, but it's very very close. And that's going to be Apple's solution for controlling smart home devices using Siri from outside your home. Let's uh, quickly go to Nick in Laurel. Nick, you're on the air. Hi, how you doing? Good. Go ahead. We just have a minute left. Sure. Okay. Uh, a caller earlier had asked about the health benefits of the intelligent lighting. Uh, I've, I have a set of hue bulbs myself, and I've found that it helped a lot with my, uh, my sleep cycles. Uh, being, being a computer nerd, I'm uh, sitting in front of that computer till late hours of the night. I use a program called uh, Flux that helps uh, change the colors of the monitor to reflect the sun, sunset in the daylight, since the, uh, you know, your body is kind of used to, to the, uh, the sun cycle. Flux integrates with Hue light bulbs, so it's not just your com- computer monitor changing the color temperature, but all the Hue light bulbs in your house as well. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. And uh, Lindsay, do uh, you have a favorite uh, smart home device you want to leave us with in ten seconds? Oh gosh, I don't think I can. In- in- I can't endorse just one. Just not just I one. Really, I will say that broadly, I I do love my smart lock a lot. And uh, Maria. Well, I already mentioned my favorite app, which is getting the text when the laundry is done. Okay. And you then rush immediately to the machine? (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Okay. Lindsay Tarantini is the editor-in-chief of CNET.com. She joined us from San Francisco. And Maria Thomas is former chief consumer officer of Samsung SmartThings. And she's a consultant for startups. Thanks to both of you. I'm Mark Fisher of The Washington Post, sitting in for Kojo Namdi. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Kojo Namdi Show. And if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at WAMU.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.